0: plushcare.com slash weight loss Pursuing your future doesn't end at 40. In fact it may mark the beginning of knowing who you are, what you're capable of and what you really want But knowing what's next and how to get there can be a challenge especially when old narratives play on repeat Liberty Road is here to share stories so that you can consider your possibilities, pursue your purpose, and move into your future with intention. I'm your host, Netta Jones, and we're here to listen, learn, and liberate dreams one episode at a time. Well, hello, Liberty listeners, welcome to another episode of Liberty Road. Today we get the privilege of listening and learning from Ritu Basin. I'm so excited to have her on the show and to learn a little bit about her expertise, as well as what got her here. Ritu, welcome, it's so nice to have you. Thank you so much for having me, Netta. Absolutely, absolutely. So tell us a little bit about your work as a DEI consultant and a leader in this space.
1: So to tell you about the work that I do, it requires me to take a step back and tell you a little bit about my background and my story, if you will. First of all, I'm Canadian, I live in Canada, And I was born here of immigrant parents. And so my parents are from India. We're Punjabi by culture, uh, which makes us North Indian. I am a Sikh. It's spelled S-I-K-H, pronounced Sikh, not Sikh. We're trying to decolonize language. My faith is called Sikhism or Sikhi. And my father was a turban, has a beard, the full deal. And if you follow me on Instagram, you'll know that my 81 year old father is more popular than I am. Like no one no one cares about my videos. They're all about his content. He's the one going viral and he is actually really adorable. It's worth checking out. I had a front row seat to watching my parents struggle as many new immigrants do when they come to a country and they just are so different than everyone else. And Canada didn't look like what it looks like now. So I watched them struggle, but then I also had my own struggles. I'm a survivor of relentless racist childhood bullying, which led me to carry deep trauma in my body. And I always knew that what was happening to me was wrong, that it was unjust, but I didn't know what to do about it when I was younger. But I made a commitment that as I got older, I was going to heal for myself and help to prevent others from feeling the same way. And that really is the main seed or the core of what led me to do the work that I do now. I ultimately became a lawyer, thinking I would do social justice law, but then like all the cool kids were going to work in corporate law in the towers, so I followed them. I spent 10 years in the legal profession doing big law, really disliking it first practicing and then I transitioned to doing HR. I became an HR director on the legal side for a large international firm based out of Toronto, Canada. I did that for many years. The tail end of my stint in the towers, I decided to do an executive MBA while I was still working because I knew I wanted a career transition. So 13 years ago, I pivoted to start my own DEI consulting for my leadership firm. And I've now worked with hundreds of organizations globally, presented to hundreds of thousands of people, coached over a thousand professionals on how do we stand in our power, claim our belonging? How do we create cultures where everyone gets to be who they are? And how do we create a beautiful life for ourselves and how we live, work, and lead? And so my professional work is directly tied to my personal journey of wanting to belong for myself.
0: You were ahead of the curve as I am listening to you talk. I mean, obviously, it was informed by your own background and what you suffered with and what you carried with you. But in terms of making this a business, making it something that you knew other businesses would need, you were kind of an outlier who is now a leader in this area. How have you seen a change from when you first started to now? What has been some significant opportunities that have opened up or changes that have been made, mindsets that have been shifted?
1: Oh, such a great question. And you know, I reflect on this all the time because I would say I'm gonna be 50 in a second. And I think back to the last 30 years of my career, and how the world feels both so different and then feels the same in many respects. Mm. So I've been doing leadership work with a focus on DEI, Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, Belonging, for over 25 years now. I became a lawyer at 25 and at 25, I started to do extensive work in the legal profession on the side, like off the side of my desk. But then the moment I took on my HR role, DEI was part of my bailiwick, part of my uh, portfolio and through my consulting firm. So I've been doing DEI work for 20 years solid as part of my how I earn a living directly. And I can tell you the words we use, the concepts we talk about, how we talk about them, the breadth of the range of inclusion that we talk about is so different now than it was 20 years ago. For example, 20 years ago, I would not be talking about gender diversity in a way to include people from the trans community. Gender Mm -hmm. 20 years ago was binary. We never talked about mental health. Like that was just not even in the realm of comprehension. We didn't talk about belonging. And I can tell you 13 years ago when I started my um, global consulting firm, I can vividly recall being asked by clients not to use the word bias or the phrase unconscious bias. I sure as hell was not allowed to talk about power privilege supremacy. It didn't even feel comfortable to say the word white or white man. And so we have shifted significantly as it relates to our ability to raise certain topics and how we talk about them. Even after the murder of George Floyd in 2020, the unfortunate, devastating cracking open of our deepening and understanding of anti-black racism, were we finally able to name racial inclusion or racial inequities in a way that we had never been able to before? Although I would argue strongly it's starting to feel like we're reverting back. So, you know, the last 20 years of doing this work and, and being one of the early few to, to do it has really given me a very expansive view of how far we've come and how far we haven't come.
0: How are you feeling positive and glass half full because you've seen so much change? And yet, what are the things that you're aware of in terms of we haven't moved the needle enough or we've gone back in time?
1: So one of the things I often say is that as a DEI professional, as a DEI leader, experiencing constant challenges in this space is not new. Like, it's not like, oh, there's an attack on DEI concepts, and this is my first rodeo. Like, this is something that we deal with nonstop as DEI professionals. And in fact, we're really good at change management. We're really good at pivoting. And we have high resilience because this is just not an area that's openly well-received. And there's just a lot of challenges when you're wanting to interrupt, disrupt the norm. And so... I always hold that thought in mind, but it can be really hard. Like the recent legal attacks on DEI programming, both in education and in the corporate world are really scary. And frankly, so uncomfortable because they highlight how there's such a lack of understanding of what equity and inclusion is really about. And also they highlight the level of woundedness that exists in society as it relates to understanding who people are and what people are about. There's just a lot of pain that people are holding that is preventing them from understanding that if there are people in our society and community who are hurting right now, we all hurt, but your own hurt is preventing you from wanting to help others. And so I get really discouraged when I think about those aspects. But at the same time, I'm also really hopeful and and I keep at it because in many ways it is easier to do this work now than it was before because sheer numbers and volume of people, it's changing the dialogue. So for example, there is such a pressing need for us to pay attention to people's cultural identities and honor who they are and cultivate belonging. And for each of us to stand in our power and be who we are, because our world is changing. Our workplaces, for example, in the US and Canada and around the world are more diverse than they have ever been, tied back to race and ethnoculture because of globalization, um, immigration, declining birth rates amongst, for example, white communities, but growing birth rates, exploding birth rates amongst communities of color. We have more gender diversity than ever before because we no longer view gender in binary terms. We have more awareness of, mental health and physical health challenges. There's more diversity tied back to mental health and physical health challenges than ever before. We have more age diversity in in society or in our workplaces than ever before from Gen Z all the way up to traditionalists. Religious diversity, I mean, I could go on and on and on and on. And so the imperative is so pressing and so clear. It's like if people are naysayers or they are resistant, it's, troubling, uncomfortable. But here's the thing, you're going to get left behind if you are not with it. If you are not on the bus, the bus has already left the station. You Mm -hmm. are now chasing the bus to catch up. And if you do not catch the bus, okay, all right. Because the other buses that have people and leaders on it that are hip to this and are like, yeah, this is amazing. And how do we do a great job of creating belonging for everyone are going to win the race. And so the sheer volume helps me. But then as well, like I would say, there are so many of us who have finally now found the wings to soar and stand in our power and to name what needs to happen. And because we are more empowered, like I think back to me talking about diversity when I was 20 years old or 25 as a young lawyer, or even 30 as a HR leader, and now here I am nearing 50. And now when I talk about it, I'm like, oh, you disagree, that's okay. I'm still going to keep at what I have to say. And and I don't feel like an imposter anymore. And I don't second guess myself and I don't question who I am. And I feel really amazing about who I am. And when people judge me, I'm like, that's on you because you're wounded and you're hurt. And I'm doing my work to be less wounded and hurt so that I'm not going to judge you for your woundedness, but I am going to stand in my power. Despite the darkness and negativity that swirls around me and around us as a collective, I cling to the hope that I have in my life for myself and for others. So many things that you've said are worth going back to. You mentioned
0: this idea of the bus has left the station and people are gonna be chasing it or not. And that a lot of the lack of being able to, I would say, even listen to other, whatever other is, you mentioned comes from pain and maybe within the word pain, you're you're holding space for what I'm gonna bring up, but it seems like a lot of it's fear. If I open opportunity, if I open my mind to other, you know, whoever you are othering, that maybe it's coming from a pain that you have, maybe it's not coming from a pain you have, maybe it's coming from a fear that you won't be
1: relevant. How much of it do you think is fear? So much of this is rooted in fear, Mm. but I wanna highlight the fear is also pain. I wondered if
0: pain is fear, that pain is an umbrella that encompasses fear.
1: Yes. So if you think about it from the perspective of, as human beings, we are animals. And as animals, we are constantly clocking the environment for threat stimuli, which could be bear attacking me in forest, or it could be, you interrupted me while speaking yet again. You didn't say my name right. Your tone changed when you addressed me versus when you addressed him. Whatever it is that causes us to feel disrespect, the body clocks is fear. But what we also clock as fear is, what if I miss out on opportunities because you're getting opportunities or I have to give up that which I have so that you can have more It stems from the same place of literally in our bodies, I'm gonna die. And so whatever it is that gives rise to a threat to our safety or security as clocked by our nervous systems will be registered as fear. But here's the thing, when we have more resilient, coherent nervous systems that are in flow because we have done our healing work, we're less likely to be triggered by, oh, you want me, to talk less so that your voice can be heard more, or you want to have this opportunity to do work that you are rightfully and actually overqualified to do. And I'm underqualified, but I always get the opportunities because I look and sound like what people expect that someone who does this work should look and sound like. When we have more resilient, settled systems, we're like, you know what? you should do this and let me take a step back so that you can shine. Let me make room for you to shine. And in fact, there's opportunity for you to shine and me to shine. A lot of people live their life in a scarcity approach. It's the, I should have this and you can't have this because only one of us can have this as opposed to, we can all have it. One of the things I learned in business school was expanding the value pie. And it's like an important concept in negotiating or even in like customer sales or whatever. But this idea of like, how can we create a solution or a resolution or come up with an approach where you get what you want? I get what I want. And because you get what you want and I get what I want, value is expanded. Everyone is winning. That's the opposite of scarcity. That is about abundance. And I think that the more we anchor to an abundance way of looking at life, which comes from healing our woundedness, the less we will be filled with fear mm. because fear is directly about pain. Thank you for going into
0: detail on that because I think it's an important thing for us to, to understand in this conversation in particular. So let me talk about your own experience with racist childhood bullying as somebody who's dedicated her life to making it right and making it better and bringing things into the light. How do you care for yourself in that? How does Ritu care for herself in that process and make sure that your own mental health, your own sense of belonging, your own need to be healed and to continue healing is protected? when you're doing this work day in and day out and you're being sort of clobbered with all the inequities that are out there.
1: I have always cared deeply about self-care and I didn't realize how important self-care was until I started to dig deeper and deeper into my trauma healing journey. And in my new book, I outline a concept that I think is so important. My new book is called, We've Got This, Unlocking the Beauty of Belonging. I talk about the concept of core wisdom Horror wisdom is the inner knowing that we hold within ourselves that helps us to tune into, what is my mind saying in this moment? How am I feeling? Ooh, I'm clocking the negative narrative starting that I'm not smart enough, I'm not good enough, I shouldn't speak, I'm being judged, I'm an imposter, whatever it is. And then in tandem, feeling the stress and 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 discomfort and insecurities rip through our bodies and my body. In this instant, feeling the tension in my chest and the swirling in my stomach and the heat on my cheeks when I'm feeling uncomfortable. It's also though about recognizing in any given moment, I'm like, wow, this is really nice. But then feeling how good this moment is in my body, feeling the joy. Mm. Our core wisdom enables us to tune into what are what are my mind and body signaling? And then secondly, What should I do about this? What do I need to do to settle my system because I'm feeling so activated? How do I calm my mind or I should use some self-coaching here? close my eyes and engage in some visualization or I need to start my diaphragm breathing right away or I need to soothe my system so I'm going to put my hand on my heart or rub my legs or pick up my fur baby and cuddle with my fur baby or spray some aromatherapy just to help me start taking deep breaths and trigger to my brain I'm safe or whatever I need to do. Oh, look at that. Tears are starting to come up. Let me release the tears. I can't do that right now because I'm in a meeting. It's okay. I'm going to come back to it later. Whatever it is, that I need to do to signal to my body, I'm safe, I'm good, let this tension and stress out. That is what our core wisdom is about. I can tell you that the number one thing I have done in my life to create a more resilient, settled system, what I have done to calm my mind and body is to grow my core wisdom. Hmm. Your core wisdom is everything for you in life. It'll help you to make better decisions. It'll help you to be more authentic in moments. It'll help you to call out bullshit you experience. It'll help you to be a better ally to others. It'll help you to be more loving in how you're giving feedback to your children, your spouse, your team members, your family. Literally, your core wisdom will save your life, it will transform your life. Given that core wisdom is so magical, I always get asked like, how do you make this happen? Like, tell me about how I like unlock the magic of core wisdom, give me the red pill to take so I can be healed forever and have more core wisdom. So I mean, I talk a lot about it and we've got this and what you do, but essentially know this, you will develop your core wisdom by relying on practices to better regulate your mind to the negative narratives And to use body-based practices to heal the pain and woundedness that comes from our childhood experiences with trauma, our young adult experiences with trauma, whatever the hurtful, hateful, painful things that have come your way that you are now carrying in your body, those body-based strategies to release that pain and hurt is what will enable you to calm your system and stand in your power. And that's what core wisdom is all about. So it's not like, okay, like I've worked from nine till six or seven, because I have long hours as an entrepreneur. And now I'm going to tack on another two hours of core wisdom, because said no one ever, like, who has time to do that? <laughs> like, who? Show me this person. Yeah. I integrate my core wisdom strategies into how I live and work. So for example, as I'm sitting here, I have a heating pad behind me that I have been leaning up against because it signals to my body, take a breath. Take a breath, with you. I feel the heat and it's right up against my kidneys. The adrenal glands sit on top of our kidneys, cortisol stress release. And so if I have the heat on my kidneys, it's like, calm the F down or I'm doing deep breathing. Yesterday, I had a really bad day. I was struggling throughout the day. I could feel the onset of panic even in me. Like I could tell I was about to have like a dramatic energetic release of like just stress. And I was like, kick into your deep breathing. And for an hour as I typed, and I worked away before I did a presentation online, I was doing deep, deep belly breathing breath work. And when I went into the presentation, I called it, I was honest, I stood my power and I was like, I'm struggling right now, having a bad day. And then wouldn't you know it, by the time I finished my two-hour workshop, I felt really good. Hmm. And so my core wisdom has changed my life and your core wisdom will change your life, but you have to cultivate it mindfully, intentionally. But know that if you do, it will literally transform your life which is in and of itself a great reason to get the book, but let's talk
0: about the book. You beat me to the punch. So in, in the We've Got This, Unlocking the Beauty of Belonging, you focus on a few pillars, three that I think are key here, healing, thriving, and one that you've mentioned a couple of times, standing in your power. Talk about those three pillars and the importance for all of us, no matter who we are and where those wounds come from. Help us to understand how we utilize those three pillars in our own lives. And maybe describe them, if you don't mind, so we have context. What do you mean by healing, by thriving, and by standing in your power?
1: Healing and thriving for me go hand in hand. And actually, if I were to take a step back, like in the book, I have three sections. The first section is, I call it hurting. The second section, I call it healing. And the last section, I call it belonging. Belonging. I've already talked quite a bit about hurting already, yeah. so I won't belabor yeah. the point, but that things happen to us as kids, as young adults, even now as grown adults in our the, our midlife point that hurt us. And actually this is what trauma is about. It's about our nervous systems becoming dysregulated because our elders while growing up said mean things to us or they didn't love us enough or their love was conditional or whatever it was, or for me, experiencing relentless bullying. And without even realizing it, we come to hold the negative messaging in our minds, but we also hold the stress and strain in our bodies by way of trauma, which means that we live in a place of being in fight, flight, freeze, fawn, And without even knowing, we are speaking less in meetings or we're self-censoring in discussions with our family members or we are berating ourselves nonstop, or whatever it is. And also, we have digestive problems. Mm. We have intense lower back pain, and we have stabbing pain in our shoulders and neck. And then our skin is all inflamed and splotchy, and we have dermatitis or uh, eczema or whatever and our breathing is shallow and we're wheezy and like I could list all of the, not to mention anxiety, depression, all of that. I could could go on and on naming health challenges and that all stems from a dysregulated system which comes from the mean hurtful things that happen to us that start to live in our minds and bodies. So that's what hurting is about. But healing and thriving, that's about us saying, not anymore will I spiral downwards or let my body hurt and carry pain. I'm going to use my core wisdom mm-hmm. to heal my body, heal my mind, and I'm going to start doing things like therapy, I'm going to start using scripting and, and self-coaching and vis- visualization, and I'm going to journal, and I'm going to meditate, and for the body, I'm going to start doing body work, like body scans. and that's even self massage like again if you follow me on Instagram you know i own every single massage tool that's out there because how often can a woman go out leave her home to go for a massage please uh, it gets too expensive although if i became a zillionaire i would get a massage every day if i could thank you so much <laughs> yes and there's all kinds of things that we can be doing to to regulate the body help release pain from the body that's what healing is about and that's what thriving is about so that we start to feel better. And because we feel better, we do better. And we help others. And we're about the collective good. That comes from healing and thriving. And then belonging is about standing in our power, like you said. Mm. It's about how can I constantly claim belonging for myself and help to create it for others. So I define belonging as being the profound feeling of being honored and accepted for who you are especially what makes you different and unique. But first and foremost, you must belong to your own self. And this is what will help you to claim belonging with others. And so belonging is about honoring your authenticity. Standing in your power is about honoring your authenticity. Standing in your power is about belonging. So when I say stand in your power, first of all, I'm talking about standing in your personal power, not your social power. Social power is your title, your class, privilege or education background. It's a great distinction. Yeah. Yeah. It's all the external stuff, which while it is important, I'd be the first to say it is important. The problem is social power is the house of cards because other people get to decide what the, our value is and they could take it away from us at any given time. So, for example, when I'm speaking on a stage in front of thousands of people or I'm on a zoom video where I'm teaching 20 people, doesn't matter. Point is, I have heightened social power because people are watching me, listening to me. They're not speaking, I'm speaking and I'm educating them. But the moment I go out on the street, a lot of my social power is stripped from me because people look at me as a woman of color and are like, no. So social power is fleeting. But when I say stand in your power, I'm talking about standing in your personal power. Personal power is that strength you have within that pushes you to say to someone when they've interrupted you while speaking, actually, just a moment, I'd like to complete my thought and we continue on. Actually, my name is pronounced Ritu and not Ritu. Actually, I was standing here in line and it's my turn. And standing in our power is about, just a second, Nina is still speaking, let's listen to Nina speak. So we're creating belonging for others as well. Or just a second, that language you used there didn't sit well with me, it felt really uncomfortable because it feels offensive. And I don't want you to use that language because ex community, that's not what they're about, whatever. So standing is in our power is about feeling safe to use our actions and our words to create experiences where we can reveal more of our authenticity for ourselves and create spaces where others can do this as well. All three of those experiences and understanding what happens in those experiences is critical for us. Why did you hurt? Who taught you to hurt? How is hurt living inside of you? Healing, what do you need to do to heal? What needs to be healed? What are you gonna do after today to heal? And then belonging, how are you gonna stand in your power? What words are you gonna use? Mm -hmm. What actions are you gonna take going forward so that you can be more of who you are and you can help others to do the same?
0: I appreciate that so much because I think when you say that, people translate what they think you mean by stand in your power. I love this idea of personal versus social. That distinction, I think is a great one. It strikes me as as you're talking about that, that our listeners are women in midlife, as we know, and many of them have felt stripped of their let's say social power. And this distinction you're making is one that I think we can lean into. What does it mean to stand in our personal power? We in fact should not be feeling invisible when for many of us we're in a place where we have the most that we've ever had. We have the most knowledge, the most connections, the most wisdom for many of us. And so there's a lot that we need to be clinging to to use your words, in our personal power. How do we do that if we feel like we've been robbed of our social power?
1: It's really rooted in a lack of social connection, lack of belonging. If you think about as human beings, as animals, how we are meant to live life, a lot of those ways are not being honored right now. Like I spend a lot of time reading about trauma, studying trauma, I'm about to complete my trauma professional certification. And so I've learned along my trauma education journey that we come from communities that are extremely tribal. Like we like to be amongst people physically. So many of us, like all of us come from ancient cultures, communities, where people lived literally together in the same room, Mm. which I now sounds horrifying for a lot of us now, (laughs) especially for people who are introverted. It's like, how would I live in the same room with a (laughs) hundred people, like I can't. We were community-based, like we had elders from across families taking care of our children and we were mixing and mingling with people on a daily basis and it was just so communally based. Your healing journey is one that you will do with yourself by going within. That's critical, paramount. But your healing journey is also about you connecting in and tapping into the sisterhood or tapping into communities around whom you feel belonging. Find your people. In the book, and we've got this, I call this our clouds, cloud relationships. Why do I say this? Like I travel a lot as a speaker and I'm always on a plane and I'm constantly looking at the window and I see the clouds. And I, years ago, I was like, wouldn't it be nice to just fall into a poofy cloud and have the poofy cloud carry me around? And then I started thinking about like the people around whom I feel the best. And I'm like, those are my cloud relationships because they literally carry me. And we need our cloud relationships. So it could be the sisterhood, it could be anyone. Find your cloud relationships and anchor to them because it's around these community members, people, that you will feel the best. They will unlock your belonging. That's where we feel
0: rooted and grounded in order to really stand in that personal power, distinct from that social power that we may have felt robbed from or that it's taken away, that people don't find that they have a need for us in society anymore. It's something I constantly hear from women in midlife. So your recommendation is really to find that community and find that sense of belonging. And from that, that feeds what we need personally.
1: You got it, Netta, you got it.
0: (laughs) So share this idea of um, roadmap to belonging. It's something that I was able to get from your website and we're gonna have all your handles so people can can get there themselves too. But you again offer three areas. You like these ideas of pillars, which I love because I love these very succinct ways. I'm such
1: a consultant and I'm such a workshopper. like, <laughs> and I know people love to learn in like yeah. bits and pieces and modules. So I have like three steps to this and the three pillars of this. And then here's the framework it's super of this. Helpful, and so though. Yeah. It's super yeah. helpful. It's something
0: that we can take away. In this particular roadmap to belonging, you talk about these three areas of focus to connect, share, and practice. How do these lead us to belonging? And you hinted a little bit at it when you were talking about the cloud relationships. But dig into that a little bit in those three areas of focus.
1: I've highlighted this um, in what I've been sharing today about the power of going within. Mm -hmm. So, before we can do anything in life, you have to go within. Self-reflection is everything. You know, after each chapter in my new book, I gave self-reflection questions because I'm like, reading something alone is not good enough. You have to read it and then reflect on it and apply it to yourself to be like, okay, so how am I going to change this? What am I going to do differently after today? What's been happening with me? Why do I hurt? we have to go within. The, The other thing that's important as it relates to our journeys to belong is that belonging is about belonging to yourself first and foremost. And so this is why I'm saying go within. We must belong to ourselves first. This is what enables us to claim belonging with others. So belonging is also about being relational. It's the You can belong to yourself, but then how are you bringing this about in relationships? And so we want to put ourselves in a place where we are connecting with others and engaging in social interactions with others, with our cloud relationships, with our team members, so that we can practice belonging in the midst of others. But then belonging is also in those moments, in those experiences, in our journey, in our path to belonging, it's also about unlocking this for other people. I guess the, the final thing I would want to say and emphasize in, in our conversation today, and I think this message is more important now than ever before, is our world is hurting. Hmm. Every part of our world is hurting right now. in Geopolitically, environmentally, I mean, I just could go on and on. And the reason I'm emphasizing this is because on our journey to belong. We're doing this for ourselves, but we're modeling it for others and we're also unlocking, and unlocking it, opening the door for others to experience belonging to, which is what we need to heal our planet, our earth, our communities in this difficult moment. Mm. So let's all commit to belonging for ourselves and for others.
0: It sounds like when you're talking about this belonging, the idea of connect is connect to self and to other. And the idea of sharing is even sharing within yourself, remembering those things that you need to be healed from, both in your mind and your body, to go back to something you said earlier, but then also sharing those things with other people. And then the practice is what you just said. Like the sense of belonging is to, I think, allow others to belong, like to create space for others, so that we can get to this place of healing for ourselves and again for the collective. You got it. So it's interesting how many times you really, whether it's mind and body, self and other, you really bring these things into unison, you find these intersections, and that's where the harmony is, both self and other. It's this constant self and other, which I guess is at the root of what DEI and belonging is. And you've, you've done a really beautiful job of painting that picture here for us. I know that uh, for many women, again, in this stage of life, this idea of belonging, this idea of who am I in this season when we've become untethered from some of the roles that we've had, whether it's a role as I'm a corporate woman and maybe I've hit a sort of ceiling and no matter what, articles I read about how those ceilings have been removed, I'm finding them to be a reality in my situation. Maybe it's, I've raised my children, I'm now an empty nester, and I'm not entirely sure what my new role is. What are the things that you think that women in this season of life can be doing Um, in their own journey to feel a sense of belonging, whether it's to other women in this journey with them or a sense of belonging to the greater sort of collective when, again, they feel, many of them, as though they have now been othered, some of them for the first time in their lives. I, like you, uh, my parents immigrated to this country. I have had my own experience with being othered, but this is yet another experience of like, okay, you can't have babies and you're kind of timed out, you're 55, Like, see you later, not sure what you have to offer. How do we cultivate that practice that you articulated so well of belonging when we're in this particular season in our lives? Any hints that you have for us as our resident expert on belonging?
1: So for me, everything goes back to core wisdom, hmm. going within. In any situation, I'm gonna invite you to use your core wisdom. Your mind and your body will tell you exactly how to answer a question around, what should I do next? Your mind and body will tell you how you're feeling. And in fact, I'm gonna recommend you rely more on your body. And I was at a healing weekend just recently and the healer I was working with, uh, who was amazing, an indigenous woman said to me, Ask your body this question, and if you feel your heart expand, Mm. you'll know the answer. But if you feel your heart contract, you'll know the answer too. And so in any given situation, what should my role be? Should it be X or Y? Or what should I do here? Is this right for me or wrong for me? Or Society has this expectation or whatever it is. I'm going to invite each of us to go back to our core wisdom, your body and mind will tell you all. Now, your mind and body will tell you healthier things the more you do your healing work and you can see how this all comes together. And the practice of listening to your body
0: and your mind will, as that gets cultivated, we're able to to rely on that. You got it. That becomes an instinctual piece of it. Thank you for that. I appreciate that so much, Ritu. I have to ask you, because this podcast is called Liberty Road, how has authoring these two books, how has becoming a consultant, how has taking the stage and speaking to thousands of people, how has this work liberated you?
1: Oh, it's a great question. And in good news, I have the answer right in my mind. And I say this in We've Got This. There is power in owning our shame. And I grew up feeling really ashamed of who I am, ashamed of my family, ashamed of my roots, struggling to be who I am. And the more I owned my shame, I was able to release it. And doing this work and helping others and teaching others and talking to others about how that they can heal and stand in their power directly empowered me to do my own healing work. And because of this, I have been able to claim greater belonging. And so doing this work for me has helped me to grow not only my professional joy, but my personal joy. Mm -hmm. And what what a blessing, what a gift.
0: Absolutely, what a blessing and what a gift to yourself and to so many. Thank you for doing the hard work of recognizing where you felt shame and how to heal from that so that we can do the same. And thank you for taking the time to be on this show with us, Rithu. I appreciate it.
1: And it's so nice to get to know you. Ah, bless. Likewise. Thank you so much, Netta. And thank you to all of you for joining us and listening today. Feel free to connect with me online. I love, love, love hearing from people. And so do reach out. And we will have
0: all of the ways that you can connect with Rithu in the show notes. So her website, her all of her handles. Thank you, Liberty listeners, for hanging out with us and spending this time with Rithu and with me. I so appreciate it. And we will see you guys next week. Bye for now. Liberty Road is broadcast on all platforms. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Podcast, and more. If you like what you've heard, please follow, rate, and review Liberty Road on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps us to know if these episodes are inspiring and equipping you to move into your middle third with intention. Liberty Road is created by executive producer Netta Jones, supervising producer Elizabeth Windham, producer Julia Windham, and music by Jack Jones.